in progress. Okay, so we learned the Rashi in the beginning of this Torah portion, and learned many angles and depth in the Rashi. And today we're going to continue and go even deeper. We're talking about how Hashem made Yitzhak's face look like Avram's face because of the scoffers of the generation. And Rashi concludes with the words, once God did this, everyone was able to testify that Avraham was indeed the father of Yitzhak. He doesn't say that everyone uh, knew about this. He says the word testify. He says, he actually says it twice. There is testimony that Avraham gave birth to Yitzchak, and then he says, and and he says, and everyone testified that Avraham gave birth to Yitzchak. Why does Rashi employ the word testimony? What's the emphasis of the word testimony? So based upon what we learned earlier yesterday, how in this transformation of the face of Yitzchak to look like Avraham, Hashem connected two impossible things. Well, two things which are impossible to connect. The element, the attribute of kindness and the attribute of justice, which are opposites. But Hashem went beyond the spiritual cosmic order and brought them both together. There is a divine sphere that also employs this uh, infinite light of Hashem to allow itself to exist. I'm referring to the sphere of Das. Das, it says in Kabbalah, includes both Chesed and Gvur. What is Das? Das means how you feel something. Not just you know about something, but how you feel something. When you can feel something, that creates both positive feelings of attraction and rejection, uh, Chesed and Gvur, but it starts with this consciousness, or more than consciousness, this recognition in Das itself, the different words that are used in Chassidus, Hakara, Hargasha, recognition, feeling, and Das is associated with both Chassid and Gvur. It's a source of both. It is being able to feel something in a very real way. So Das, like the transformation of Isaac's face to Avram's face, like the transformation of Chassid, of Gvur to Chassid, Das also is in the, the way that the spheres are divided in three areas, Das is in the middle. And it says about the middle area of the realm of the spheres that the middle realm ascends to Kesser, ascends to the inner dimension of Kesser, to Atik. Das has within it two opposites. And that doesn't mention this here, but I believe Chassidah says also about the sphere beneath Das in this there's different ways of setting up the spheres. One is that Chas and Gvur and Tveres are in order. The other way is there are three areas. There's Bina, Gvur, Ahoyd, Chachma, Chasid, Netzach, and Das, Tveres, Yisod. So Das, like Tveres, uh, is associated with the infinite. Tveres is also a convergence of both Chasid and Gvur. Tveres has in it not this time for discussion, discussing it now. You know, Dr. Resman is giving me this look, like, what are you talking about? Of course, it's just discussing it now. Okay, I'll discuss it very briefly. What is Teferis? Teferis is about... Teferis means beauty. And 
the convergence of chesed and gevura is called beautiful. Why it's called beautiful? Because beauty is created when there's color, more than one color. If there's just one color, it's not called beautiful. So in order to produce the sphere of teferis, you have to have both chesed and gevura, and that's why it's called beautiful. Why do you need both spheres to produce teferis? It's similar to what we discussed earlier, earlier this week. Chesed is about me. I want to be kind. Gvura is about me judging you. But after I judge you and I'm talking about you and thinking about what you need, that evokes within me a feeling of rachmanus, of mercy. So mercy has in it both a sense of kindness and a sense of justice. I am judging you and saying you don't deserve this. And yet, because of that, I feel bad for you and I give you anyways. So that's, that feeling of Rachmanus is infinite. It comes from the inner dimension of Kesser and as does Das, which is above it. So Das and Teferis are both associated with the inner dimension of Kesser, the level of Atik, which Atik is beyond the division of Chesed and Gvura, as, as it says in the Kabbalah, less Atika. There is no left hand there's no realm of the left of justice, of concealment, in the realm of Atik. Atik is all right. Atik is all revelation. So that's why the word Heidu, Edus, is used because the word Heidu and Edus is associated with the sphere of Das. The word testimony has a relationship to the word Das. There's another point here. Besides the fact that the word testimony has connection to the word testimony, uh, the word das has connection to the word testimony, there's something else. Let's talk about testimony by itself without its, its um, word association. When do you need testimony? You only need testimony when something is hidden. When something is open and clear, you don't need testimony. Not only that, the Talmud says that there are certain instances that we rely on people which are ordinarily considered not so trustworthy, and that, that is in a scenario when whatever it is is going to be discovered. It's called milsa da vidle something that will be discovered. You don't need real testimony for something which is going to be discovered anyways, and therefore you don't need to have the usual um, rules about testimony. Uh, there are leniencies about um, trusting people who are uh, to, to determine if there's non-kosher elements in the food, and you don't have to have a Jew taste it because Jew can't taste non-kosher food. But you can rely on others in certain instances, and that's because it's going to be discovered, is there a taste of whatever it is in that food? But spiritually, the level of testimony is associated with a revelation of that which is beyond anything that can be revealed. They're revealing something which is ordinarily concealed and cannot even close the revelation. Jurassic testimony in a physical sense, in a simple sense, is about testifying something which is hidden and not ever going to be discovered. So the parallel spiritually of testimony is a revelation of something that is not revealed and not even close to being revealed. It's a revelation of a level that is beyond the spiritual cosmos. And that's why Rashi emphasizes that they testify that Avram gave birth to Yitzchak because how did Avram give birth to Yitzchak in a way that it was clear that he was the father of Yitzhak, it's because God transformed Yitzhak's face, he transformed Gvura to Chesed. To transform Gvura to Chesed, you need to, that can only happen with the revelation of something which is beyond the spiritual cosmos. In the realm of logic, there's no room for such a thing. Only, Rashi says, Eidus Yeshkan. There's something here that is 
a testimony. There's something here which is beyond that which can be revealed. It's like witnesses who come to us and they say to us, this is what happened. So even though we can't go back to that scenario and that place, we trust them. We have to trust them because they saw it. So Rashi has in his explanation secrets of the Torah, and the Shalom also writes, not beyond secrets of the Torah, there are also wondrous things in Rashi, which isn't only referring to secrets of the Torah, there's also many things in Jewish philosophy and halacha that we discovered in Rashi. Some people think the Rebbe says that learning Chumash with Rashi is something which is a denigrity for them, chas But you should know the Rebbe says the opposite. The Shalom, the Rikanti, the Vusha'ira, all talk about how incredible it is to learn Rashi. And when you learn daily the, the Chumash and the Rashi um, of Chitas, the end is, as it says in the Talmud, after 40 years, you're able to discover the depth of, the, of your teacher's insight. Um, this is also hinted, the idea of after 40 years discovering your teacher's insight, this is also hinted to when the Torah says that after Yitzchak turned 40 years old, he married Rivka. This is because at the age of 40, you are able to have, as the Talmud says, new being a new understanding. So, after 40 years, you get older, you discover the inner dimension of what you learned in first grade in Rashi. So just like this is true regarding Rashi, although it's something that's learned with children, it's specifically through Rashi, you're able to discover the inner dimension of Torah. So too is this true regarding action. Although action is considered the lowest part of the person, our power of action is far lower than our emotions and our intellect. So some people say, ah, they don't want to go to that action. It's not just because they're lazy. It's because they, they, just, they just like things in the more abstract and theoretical and, and spiritual planes because they're, they're more comfortable. You don't have to go down to that realm of action, which is, which is, which is indeed a, a descent. But the Rebbe says it's specifically through this descent and doing things physically that you connect to the essence of God. There is a similar concept that we learned uh, this week that is, is also in the blessing that Yitzchak gives Yaakov. He says to Yaakov, May God give you from the dew of the heaven and the fat of the earth. There are two opposite explanations of that blessing. One explanation is simply, do of the heaven, fat of the earth. The Torah has us many explanations, but first of all, there's a simple one. And then there's another meaning, that the do of the heaven refers to the, the mikra, the chumash, and the fat of the earth refers to the mission. And because both explanations are in the same verse, they're connected. Because from the perspective of God's essence, who God's essence is beyond anything being impossible for him. So he's able to put them both together, the spiritual and the physical together. And since the essence of God has, so to speak, a connection to the physical specifically, to the body specifically, as says in Tanya, that the choice of God in the Jewish people is specifically God's choice of our body. Our souls are naturally connected to God. It's not called a choice. But God, when we say in Davening, God chose us from all nations, we're referring to how God chose the Jewish bodies. So, the essence of God has connection to the physical realm. That's where he wants a home. And automatically, we don't just have everything um, in the realm of the blessing of 
Chumash and Mishnah, the fat of the, the, the dew of the heaven, the fat of the earth in a spiritual sense, but things are come down in the physical sense, it just passes through, the Torah passes through the Chumash, passes through the Mishnah, but through that the blessings come in a physical down-to-earth way. That's the conclusion of the Rebbe's discussion on this subject, and I want to try to go further on to the next part of the Chabrengah. Just like Rashi explains things in Kabbalah, there are also things in Rashi that tell us a lot about Halacha. For example, in this week's parasha it says that Yitzchak marries Rivka again at the age of 40. How old was uh, Rivka when Sarah passes away? She was just born. Yitzchak was how old? 37. He waited three years until he married her. So the question is, says in Parsha Chayasara that Yitzchak marries Rivka and he's comforted from the passing of his mother. That means only after marrying Rivka was he comforted. So this means that he was mourning for three years. But Allah says you're not allowed to mourn even for your parents for more than 12 months. So how is Yitzchak mourning for three years until he gets married? And you can answer that this is something, this, in, that this halacha only begins after the Torah was given because, number one, it's logical why you can't do this. Hashem says, you can't be more merciful than I am, God says. So if God says this is okay, by, by extensive mourning, you're saying that you, you disagree with God and you think that you're more merciful. You're saying by your extensive mourning that you are more merciful than God. Number two, so besides it being logical, and therefore it should be true even before the Torah was given, number two, our forefathers did everything the Torah says before it was given, especially the laws of, of mourning and comforting the mourning, that it says clearly, clearly that this existed before the Torah was given. Number three, it says about Yosef that Yaakov refused to be comforted for what he thought was Yosef's death. And why did he refuse to be comforted? Why couldn't he be comforted? It says in the Torah because ordinarily there's this mechanism that, that allows a person to recover when someone actually passes away. But since Yosef was alive, he couldn't stop mourning after 12 months, which was the time that a person is meant to stop. So we see from the story of Yaakov also that he should have stopped, that there's a concept of stopping after 12 months. He just couldn't do it. So how come Yitzhak is mourning for three years? And the answer is like this. It says in the Talmud that from the moment that Isaac was offered on the altar, on the Akedah, Isaac was, according to one opinion, he was in the yeshiva of Shem and Aver. According to another opinion, he went to Ganeden for three years. And according to the second opinion, he went to Ganeden, that answers something else that's difficult in Rashi. Rashi says, in the beginning of this Torah portion, on the verse, and they, and they grew up, Yaakov and Esav grew up, Rashi says, once they turned 13, then everyone did what they wanted to do. Yitz, uh, Yaakov went to the synagogues, and Esav went to the idol worship. And Rashi says that God made Avram pass away five years earlier. He was supposed to live 180 years, only lived 175 because God didn't want Avram to see Esav act wickedly. But according to this, that Esav only begins idol worship at the age of 13, it comes out that Avram did see 
Asa for two years until Asa was 15 because Yitzchak was 60 when he gave birth to Asa. And so Yitzchak is therefore 73 when Yaakov and Asa are bar mitzvah. And Avram was 100 years old when Yitzchak was born. So Avram was 173 when they're bar mitzvah. So it comes out that there are two years that Avram is witnessing the wickedness of, of, of Esav. And the uh, question is, how is that possible? Doesn't the Torah say that God made his life end early, so you shouldn't see this? So the Daskin and Balatesa's answers that for the, till he was 15, he didn't do this in public. But that explanation isn't understood because if it's possible for him to, to sin in a secret way, let him sin for five years like that so Avram can live his full life. But according to this opinion that Yitzchak was in Ganadin for three, three years, we could say the following. When Esav went out to a, act in a wicked way, that was after the passing of Avram. Because the time that Yitzchak was in Ganadin is not considered part of his life. Because Ganadin is higher than time. And so, so Avram was 62 years. And he was 60 years old. And although... 62 years have passed since Yitzhak was born. Yitzhak was only 60 years old. Avram was 162 when Yitzhak was 60. So therefore, because the three years aren't counted when he was Ganadin. So when Yitzhak and, sorry, when Yaakov and Esau grow up and become Bar Mitzvah, Avram is already 175 when Yitzhak is only 73. So according to this, it's understood that although three years passed since Sarah passed away, Yitzchak was mourning. Why was he mourning? Because he didn't know she passed away. Because he was in the synagogue. He was in Ganadin. And when he found out that she passed away, and he comes back from Ganadin, so then he had to, as Allah is, when you find out after someone passes away, uh, if you didn't know, then you have to have to have mourning at the time you discover it. That's when the mourning begins. So that's why the Torah says he, that Yitzchak is mourning. But then the Torah says he was comforted when he marries. He wasn't he started to mourn uh, only after his return from the yeshiva or from his return from Ganadin. And he wasn't mourning more than, than, than a year. This is something which is hinted from Rashi. Here you see again wondrous things in halacha from Rashi. During the Fabrengen, the Rebbe addressed something else in the next talk. The Rebbe says, as the Torah says, you're supposed to be clean in the eyes of God and the Jewish people. You're supposed to, in other words, protect your name. So, I want to make I want to clarify something. There are there are those who complain uh, that there are some people who are sleeping during Rebbe's Fabrengen, and they uh, they the the Vada Masada, uh, those in charge of arranging the Rebbe's Fabrengens, decided to take away the places for people to sit. So that way, no one will sleep. So. Um, and as we find in this in Simchas Beis Sheeva, that people would sleep while they were standing, but that's unlikely. So therefore, they took away the chairs. The so people should should have to stand. Zebra so said, "I want you to know this was not my idea. Is opposite my intent and my desire. I don't know if it's possible to get to get chairs for everybody everybody right now, but from now on, this will be taken care of. It's impossible. It's not. It's it, to to pain Jews that they need to stand so long. It's better that they would sleep, they should sleep with good health." Uh, either they, the, either because they don't care about what, whether Rashi uses 
the words of Mormon Parsha, or Rashi uses words of Mormon Mata, or they don't care if they, whether the different things are discussed in this Fabrang, and whether you should start with the right hand when you educate or the left hand when you educate. Um, th- th- these things don't disturb them to their sleep, and, and they won't even dream about those things. So, Ever says that certainly they won't, um, nothing, nothing negative will, Ever doesn't have any negative feelings, in other words, towards them, and nothing negative will happen to them, but they should not be forced to stand so long. And Ever added with a smile, I now have the answer for a question that I had about a story that the previous Ever told me many years ago, and I never understood um, why he told me a story until this event happened. The Friedrich Ever said that by the Reb Marash, in general, Reb Marash, his, his behavior was in a way of, of he acted in a very uh, luxurious way. So while he was saying chassidus, the there was tzemeritza. The Rebbe asked the previous Rebbe, what is tzemeritza? The previous Rebbe said tzemeritza is a kind of strong smelling spice. So when they would see someone sleeping, they would give him the tzemeritza, and that's the way they, they would get up. So because of this invention of this uh, Vada Masada, of, this, of the, of the um, group that organizes the Fabrengans, this idea of taking away the chairs. So then said, now I discovered why the previous Shabbat had to tell me this story. When you wake someone up with a fragrance, it's not, it's, not, it's not so enjoyable, and it's painful. But at least the pain is just for a moment, but not in, like in this situation. When you make someone stand for a long time, uh, it's, not, it's, not, it's, it's, it's much more painful. So anyways, if someone wants to be zealous for the honor of God, the Rebbe says, then wake up those who are sleeping with, with, a, with a fragrance, but not with a, uh, don't take away the chairs. May be Hashem's will. Hashem should give every single Jew, whether he's awake or asleep, from the dew of the heaven, from the fat of the earth, in a way that is connected to Shabbos, especially Shabbos after midday, which is called in Kabbalah, Raivin the Raivin, the most desirable time of the week. And what is Shabbos called? Nachla bimitzayim. Shabbos is associated with the infinite. An inheritance that has no boundaries. So Hashem gave everyone the dew of the heaven and the fat of the earth in an infinite way. And this is, again, both regarding the physical blessing and spiritual blessing, until we should see, that, as the Torah says, open your eyes, it says in Tilim, and I will show you wonders in, in your Torah, in the Torah. But this is something that depends on our free will. We have free will to know, we have free will to ask what we want. The same prayer could be explained in many ways. As the previous Rebbe said, that there were two people that once asked for pearls. But one person was asking about pearls that are put on a necklace around the neck. Another person's request was for pearl barley that's put in a, in a soup. So those who asked for pearls, for pearl necklaces, they got the pearl necklaces, all their needs up to the pearl necklaces. But those who only asked for pearl barley, they indeed got their request, because they asked in the depth of their heart, but after their request was fulfilled, all they got was a pearl barley. So in other words, I've been saying that we should really ask for what we need, we shouldn't limit ourselves and say, this is what I could get, what I can't get. May Hashem give to every single Jew a, a heart of flesh, and to know how to use this infinite blessing of Shabbos in an appropriate way. L'chaim l'chaim. A good Shabbos, a good Chodesh, and good Yantif. In this part, you know,